Hello, this is Mark Taylor. Welcome back to the Learning on Far podcast. This is our first episode of 2019. I just wanted to wish you a happy new year and hope you had a fantastic holiday season. I had a lovely time with my family and friends over the Christmas and New Year period, but it's also been a very busy time for me as a professional musician. There are always lots of productions, lots of shows to be doing. I had a lovely time in Chichester Festival Theatre doing a new production of Sleeping Beauty and as well as playing percussion I got to be orchestral manager so it's the thing I love the most get to do great music making but also create a great atmosphere with great people who really enjoy their work and and enjoy being together and that's a real thrill for me when those two things combine. I'm currently in London performing with the English National Ballet in their production of Swan Lake, which is a real thrill. Playing timpani with that orchestra in such great venue as the London Coliseum is is wonderful. And um, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to be able to do and perform with these types of organisations and these types of orchestras. So 2018 was a great start for Learning on Fire and we had some great guests on sharing their insights and wisdom. And we've got even more guests coming in 2019 doing exactly that, sharing the things that they've learned which have enabled them to live life on their terms which is really what this is all about following your dreams lighting your fire and being able to really just enjoy life as you wish to do it even within the confines of the kind of world that we, we are currently living in on today's show i have jim hart who you may have heard on the education on fire podcast he was there talking about his his life in p and sport during my last season there but today we get a real insight into the what's made the person that wanted to give so much back into education and support children to to live their best lives too so i hope you really enjoyed today's episode with jim hart there comes a time in every person's life when you realize it's not about doing what you are told but doing what you know is right for you Let us take a journey of learning and discovery with the world's most successful people who are living the life of their dreams, walking through life using their inner wisdom and being of service to others. Forget exams, grades and test scores. What is your purpose? As we let go of what we think should be and learn from our elders to gain knowledge, inspiration and a true sense of who we are. What are your dreams? Does your life have meaning? Are you living a life of significance? Let's talk with today's guest. Hello and welcome as we spend some more time together on the Learning on Far podcast. Today I'm talking to Jim Hart. Hi Jim, thanks for joining me and let's explore the journey of who you are. Great Mark, looking forward to it. So let's talk a little bit about um, where you're living and your background and and a little bit of understanding of, of who you are as a person. Mark, I live in West Central Florida, United States in the Tampa Bay area. Um, my my professional persona is I'm a PE teacher, also a soccer coach, and I use the uh, football for for those of you over on the other side there. Uh, I use um, I use that position to reach many people, both by coaching teams and also by running a summer camp, which which is going into its 39th summer this coming year. And uh, be, be uh, between those things, I. Uh, I use those things to try to paint a picture of, uh, of belief and self-confidence to the people I run across, both the kids and the people that work in the camp. Um, and so that's kind of it. The big defining moment of my life happened when I was eight years old, when, my, when I lost my father to cancer. And then for the rest of the time, I've sort of been a bit wandering. And it took me till I was about 23 to figure out uh, that you know what, the best place for me to be is 
in the role that I'm in now because there are a lot of uh, there are a lot of eight year olds out there like that that are looking for somebody like that that can maybe help them out a little bit. And so that's what I try to do. I'm a reader. I'm a talker. I'm a searcher, always looking for wisdom and whatever I can gather. I try to share with the people that I'm in touch with. I try to stay in touch with my eight year old self. So that's me. That's that's really lovely, and I, and I think that really is so key. And it, and it comes across. Um, those of you who also listen to the Education on Fire podcast would have heard Jim on my PE season talking about all the fantastic stuff that goes on his his school. So I recommend you you check that out if you haven't heard it. It's episode seventy seven, um, and there's some great wisdom in there in terms of how he works within the education field and, and how his PE and philosophy fits into their school. Um, but I, I I love that connection and that real sort of deep understanding. Like you said, there are so many people out there who are looking for answers or or feel slightly disjointed with the world. That that they find in their environment and looking for a, a sense of belonging. It sounds like that's something that because of your experiences, you can identify with and support them with. Yes. And you know, you don't see those people uh, because they're well-dressed, they're well-mannered. Everything seems fine with them. They get good grades. There doesn't seem to be anything wrong, but, but there, but there is, it's not that there's anything wrong. It's more, maybe something's missing and, uh, and they're out there, many of them, uh, and uh, and they need uh, they need guidance and help just as much as as it's obvious when we run across people who are clearly struggling. They're homeless, or you know, or they're they're suffering in some obvious way that you can tell at a glance. But then there's this whole layer of people, as you know, Mark, because the Education on Fire and the Learning on Fire podcast is kind of speaking to these people. They're just you know they're just wondering. They're just not sure yet. And uh, they might need somebody to, to, to give them a little tap on the shoulder or a little, a little piece of wisdom to help them along. And so I've, I've kind of assigned myself that role. And I think that's it. It's just um, we're here sharing that wisdom, sharing the, those thoughts and philosophies from all the people that I'm, I'm talking to on a, on a weekly basis. And, um, and and already just in the in the few episodes that we've had so far, it really is, you know, that there's a wealth of knowledge there just in terms of what people have told me about, but also the things that have inspired them which have there, there are certain books and podcasts and resources they've mentioned which have just sort of opened my world up already as well so yeah th- thank you for that i think that's going to be it's going to be even more valuable um the, the more we continue down this track is more sort of overarching themes come through as each person's journey is explained they're all different stories they're all different lives but there's an element of truth which i think is that sort of humanitarian or or human element which is what we can all identify with which then can draw people out so Yes. Really great stuff. So what does your life look like now and how is it different from when you were growing up? When I was growing up, I was a quiet kid, shy kid. And of course, this this event took place in my life uh, this summer between my third and fourth grade year. Uh, and so that, of course, that, of course, kind of threw. I wasn't I was I was well looked after. I wasn't poor. I had what I needed. I lived in a good neighborhood, had uh uh, all of those types of things were fine for me, but I wasn't the most out front person. Uh, I was, uh, uh, I, and then I got dealt this card and I spent some time processing that when I was in fourth grade. I don't even remember fourth grade, but when I was in fifth grade, I had a teacher that started to draw some things out of me and that became later very important to me. Uh, that fifth, that experience with that fifth grade teacher. As I got older, I became somebody that was out front. 
uh, now I'm kind of I, I'm kind of out there. People know who I am, and they know about my camp, and uh, the kids in my school know uh, that I'm the PE teacher. I see everybody in the school, and so I'm I'm quite different now than I was when I was that uh, that that little more reserved uh, seven and eight year old. Um, but um, but that's it. I'm I'm a I'm a public person. I'm out front. I'm out there. I'm open to everybody. My life's an open book, and I talk to many people um, all the time. Always in that sort of idea of searching, searching for something, searching for a truth, searching for some wisdom, searching for a way to help somebody. That's kind of where I where I go with it. I think that's a great place to. To, to spend your energy and, and to be searching and, and the other thing I really liked about that is that is the difference between how you, how you are at some points in your life and how you can then develop and be different later and there's and I think it's important to say here there's no right or wrong you know it's not like you should be this way or you should be that way but you should be okay within yourself to who you really are and and I think the best gift you can give to other people is to be yourself so by keeping yourself small or not being out there if that's what you want to be is actually something which as you get more confident or as you feel more yourself and able to converse with more people and actually turn up in the world with the, with your light shining I think it's not just about how you are in the world it's about how that influences everyone around you and I think that's a real gift so true <clears throat> so true one of the things that that also happened was my mother remarried uh when i was young and so i acquired a stepfather and some stepbrothers and sisters just suddenly appeared in my life and many of them were the same age as i was so there came suddenly this this uh this bit of of comparing and competing that wasn't there it just became automatic just one day it wasn't there the next day it was and then you know, so learning to process all that and, and figure all that out, it kind of puts you a little sideways for a while. But, but uh, you know, there are kids out there all over the place that are having changes in their life pattern, whether it be a parent that's lost or they move to a new city or, you know, someone, um, a parent remarries, a divorce happens. Things like this are happening all the time. And uh, And what happens, what I think happens is, most kids sort of hit the pause button and they and they, while they try to figure out what you know what this new change is all about i know that happened for me and in that time when that pause button's been hit you're kind of on the lookout you're kind of quietly on the lookout for somebody to to hit the play button again so you can keep going and uh and and if i can hit the play button for somebody um then i i feel like i've done my job yeah that's that's really great and i and i think i th I think that understanding that I, I like that idea of sort of a, a pause and play button because life does ebb and flow there are times when you're very productive you feel like you're on top of the world and you could achieve anything and there's times for reflection and there's times where things like you say become paused or stagnant in some way but that's okay i think a lot of it's just understanding that that's where you are and that acceptance of where you are is really key i think that the the difficulty is as, as you put really well is the fact that you as a child you often don't understand what that is um all you know is that you're like you say you're processing or, or this has changed and you don't quite know how to deal with it and that's where the great teachers or the people that come into contact with children all the time have such a big role to play um and also i'm i've been interviewing people who've been involved in mentorship schemes and that kind of thing recently and the more i hear about it and the more i understand about it the, the more it seems really important because if if 
if if you're a child that needs support not to the point where they're you know they need medical support or or they get to the point of complete crisis but they're looking to grow they're looking to understand you need someone that can give you that breadth of understanding or space to explore that in a safe way that can then encourage them um and it seems to me that a mentorship scheme actually is is a is a great way of 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 doing that because it may be that a child you know has a fantastic family life and they get everything they need from at home it might be they're in a great school and they get everything they get from school but it might be that you have neither or some or both of those and i think having a um a place where you always know that you could go if you need that support is a, is a very positive thing and I'm, I'm i'm interested to see where in my life anyway sort of how that that sort of um starts to develop because it definitely feels like it's something important for me anyway yeah, mentoring mentors have been so key for me. I've been constantly looking for them. You know, folks, you 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 uh, you related or you <clears throat> refer to people that um, that have had uh, relatively normal upbringings, or I can't remember how you said it, but it, the thing is, you don't think about the missing foundational pieces. If you grew up and um, everything was great, everything was fine, and you take the world in, you're taking the world in from a perspective, think of it like sitting in a chair and looking things over, uh, right? And, and so what you see is what you're looking at. But what if one of the legs of that chair broke suddenly? And now your your whole world is, is you fell onto the ground and this chair doesn't work anymore. Now you've got to either repair the chair or find a different chair or or do something Use find a way to get that leg back up there fixed so you can get back to that place that you once were. But then when you get back up on that chair, you're a different person and you're coming onto the chair either with wisdom or with anger or with bitterness or with something. And hopefully it's something good. I think one of the things that, that can happen is folks that experience uh, things as they grow up uh, that are that are off the the normal script, they can get back up on that chair with a, with and be a, a different, more powerful person, a more powerful influence, because they can understand. Wow, you know that was interesting when I was on the floor there for a while. <laughs> when I get back up here, I'm going to look for other people whose chair seems to have broken. You know, that's it. It's a great analogy that, and I think also I, I was just picturing as you were saying that it's almost like, you know. I was just thinking that the chair that you rebuild or the chair, the new chair that you sit on could almost like be a million feet taller than the one you were on before because you're just going to see the world, as you said, with that different understanding, that different perspective. And, and then to be able to see not physically what you see in the way that you did, but emotionally is going to be different as well in terms of connecting with people, like you said. And I, I think that's, um, that's a great, it's a great way of thinking about it. It's really clear. I really appreciate that. Thank you. You're welcome. And, and the thing is, maybe your mentors will come into your life that that never would have had the chair not broken in the first place. And like you said, they can lift you to places that you otherwise wouldn't have gone because you didn't think you needed to or you didn't think there was any. There was never a reason to seek out these folks in your life. But when they come in and they share all this wisdom, it almost like, you know, everybody should have their chair broken once in a while. Yeah, it re- it really is that understanding that it's all a gift, even if it's painful while you're going through it. There's something there which just gives you an understanding that that you wouldn't have had otherwise. I think you're ab- absolutely right with that. Um, which teachers do you remember, uh, and why? And also, what was valuable about your school experience overall? My school experience, the value in that was that, and I didn't understand the value till well after. 
but the greatest value was that school was a central gathering place where every child had to go to every day, whether they wanted to or not. So if your thought process was in helping people, then the best place to go is where they all have to go every day and become a part of that, become a part of the mission of that place. If, you're, if your idea was to try to offer wisdom to kids, you wouldn't go stand on a corner. You might not see that many. But if you can get involved in a place where that's where they all are. So that was a great value for school. I didn't understand it at the time. Another real interesting thing happened. When I was 15, uh, our family moved from Illinois to Florida. And in the very year that we moved uh, in the United States, we started, at least in Florida, we started something called forced busing to achieve racial integration in schools. So... The uh, what happened was African American students would be would get on a bus from their neighborhood and come over to a white school to get a balance of of a I think at the time it was like a seventy percent thirty percent balance of a racial balance in each of the schools and so whether this was a good idea or not uh, forty forty or more years later is for people to to. Uh, you know, to smarter than me to decide. But I was in on that experiment from the very beginning. And it was an amazing opportunity to watch human interaction and, and how it works. And, and it really got me interested in civil rights. It got me interested in the whole idea that there are groups of people that aren't the same as other groups of people. And why is that? And what can we do about it? Um, also, in, in college, I got uh i got myself involved in a college radio station at some point that was great that was a great experience and the last part of my school experience was the opportunity to meet all of these great mentors and teachers that came into my life since i was on the lookout for those people anyway well what better place than school to to find them there's one in every room you can try them all out and some of them are actually quite good <laughs> And which particular teachers, you mentioned your fifth grade really changed your life. What was it about that experience that, that really helped you? Something he saw, and I don't know if my parents told him, my mother, uh, I don't know if my mother explained to him who I was, what was going on. I actually don't think that happened, but it was, his name was Mr. Croca, and he was, he just had that quiet wisdom that good teachers have and he just his radar picked up on something in me it's not that he did anything outwardly i can't even remember a single outward thing that he did but it's more the way i felt that this man cared for me he cared about me he looked out for me and i left mr croca's time with him feeling like that man can see me now, maybe he made every child feel that way. I don't know. Maybe that's just how he was. But it was very important for me at that time because this is within about a year of my, my father passing. It kind of gave me a kickstart back in. Maybe he's the one to hit my play button for, to go back to the old analogy. Um, I had other teachers in, in middle school. I had two PE teachers, uh, Mr. Wynowski and Mr. Romes, who I thought – uh, wow, those guys could do a lot better than what they're doing. I just wasn't impressed with them as PE teachers. And I thought, when I was growing up, I played 
sports with all my friends all the time. So we looked forward to PE, and I thought those guys were were just not the greatest. They were okay, but they talked too much, and they weren't that excited about us kids. Uh, high school had some interesting teachers that that made a difference. Um, Mr. Zymek using humor, like he would say things like. Um, uh, isn't, uh, you know, is he had his little quips that he would throw and they were just funny and he kept his, his class interesting. And I remembered that. I always tried to remember the importance of that. Had a teacher named Mr. Hess, kind of had an offbeat goofiness about him. Uh, and then there was this other out front PE teacher, Mr. Logan, and he kind of lived, you know, we run into these people, he lived on catchphrases. Uh, like he, you know, you associate three or four phrases. His phrases were "I see you, you can't hide," and 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 what he would do is he's use, he'd use these phrases when we were exercising or working hard, and he'd and he'd say. And at first, I I'm like, "What's he talking about? You can't hide. I'm not trying to hide. I <laughs> I know he can see me. I'm right there. I mean, but it, as as he would continually use these phrases." You, it wasn't so much about deciphering what they actually mean. It was like his way. Mr. Logan was up today and he was on. He'd had his coffee and he can see us and we can't hide from him. It's like his way of connecting. And I thought that was quite powerful. It's something I really remembered. Those are teachers from my elementary, middle and high school that that I that I remember for those reasons. And what I really love about some of these stories is the fact that they all do something in a different way, which is great for people listening. It's like you don't have to, you know, this isn't the blueprint for being a great teacher or a great mentor or a great person for that matter. It's actually the essence of who they are, the fact that they can see you as a child, that you know, see you as a person, um, but how they actually communicate that, how it comes across and, and how that is for the person involved in that relationship um, is always different. But I think the essence of it's the same. And I, and I think that's the key thing that we were talking before about that sort of thread of, of human nature sort of going through. I think that really is just key, which is, is great to hear. I really love that. Mark, there's one other, uh, a first grade teacher I had. Now this I was six years old. Mrs. Kurt was her name. And I don't remember how she looked. I don't remember anything she said. But one day when the weather changed, and must have been around November or October, something like that, when it began to get cold, where I used to live up in Chicago, Illinois, um, my parents sent me to school in this brand new sweater. It was a nice sweater. And I got to school and Miss Kurt saw me and said, oh, I love that sweater, and gave me a big hug. Well, here I am, almost 60 years later, and I can still remember how it felt when this teacher showed that that sort of affection, and uh, it, it was it, it stuck with me. Uh, I mean, I, I, I think of all my teachers, that's one of the things, one of the first things I think of, this first grade teacher giving me a genuine hug, and that's powerful. And all these teachers, I'm not talking about any of them based on anything academic, uh, nothing about how they taught their lessons. It's like you said, it's more about how they are as people. And the, the thing I would say to anybody going into the education field, you're not in the education business, you're in the kid business. And if you can understand that, the, everything else will take care of itself. Yeah, I think that's great advice. 
who did you admire when you were young and what was it about that person that had such a big impact? Well, uh, the, the biggest impact people that had on that, that, uh, that had on me, there were many, a lot of them were my college professors. Uh, I had, uh, this guy, Jack McKenzie probably had the biggest, uh, impact on me. He's a soccer coach of the college I went to. I never got involved in soccer until I got to college, but I went to a small school. Jack McKenzie ran his team. There was a moral authority in his team. He created a simple culture, uh, and his team played much bigger teams. There was a bit of a David and Goliath feel, but they were very powerful and very successful. If you think of, in England, if you think of a small club that moves up to the Premier League but does quite well, playing, punching way over their weight, and people like them for that, and they admire them for that. Jack McKenzie's soccer program was like that. And for some reason, Jack McKenzie took me under his wing. I wasn't one of his players, but he just showed me some attention and it really made a difference for me. John Ortworth, another PE professor. It took me six years to graduate from college, uh, Mark, because I went through, uh, changed my major five times because I was like always searching, like I was, like I told you before. And it took me that long to come back around to, to saying, all right, I want to be a PE teacher. I actually quit school at one point because um, I was going to show the professor, C.J. Mason, that he was wrong about me. And I really taught him a lesson. I quit school. <laughs> it's the dumbest thing I ever did. But, uh, uh, but, but by quitting school and uh, getting out there as a 21-year-old, I realized, wait a minute, you know, I, get back in school and do what you like to do. John Ortworth, Jack McKenzie, these were PE professors, Frank Longo, PE professors, all wise, good people that had moral authority. These are the people that had a big impact. But also, an interesting thing, my, my, uh, my father who passed, his family, his brothers and sisters, especially one in particular, my Uncle Bill, they really took me under their wing. And, they, and I, I later, many years later, found out that my Uncle Bill on my dad's deathbed uh, had promised to my dad that he would not have to, you know, my dad wouldn't have to worry about his kids that Uncle Bill would take care of them and the brothers and sisters would make sure that they were raised properly. These people taught me how to think. I, I, I have this particular memory of being with my Uncle Bill. I went and worked with him for a couple of summers. He's a lawyer, big, big lawyer in Chicago. And um, <clears throat> we were we were waiting for a taxi cab and it was raining. Uh, downtown Chicago, and he waved for a waved for a cab, and uh, and the cab slowed down, and we went out into the rain to go get the cab, right? And just as we were reaching for the door, another person ran up and grabbed the cab just in front of us. The cab so, jumped in a cab, slammed the door, and the cab drove off, and we're standing in the rain. And in my mind, in my 15, 16 year old mind, I'm thinking. Oh my gosh, I wonder what Uncle Bill's going to say about this because that was wrong. And you know what he told me? He looked at me and he said, you know what? That guy probably needed that cab more than we did. We'll get the next one. And I thought, wow. <laughs> That's, you know, you expect you expect a temper tantrum in that moment. For him to stand there in the pouring rain and just have that clear, calm reflection that's something you just don't forget. So those people, my college professors and my, uh, uh, 
you know, my the siblings of my father probably were the ones that had the biggest impact. Yeah, no, I can really understand that and really, really makes a lot of sense. And, and, and just tagging on to, to that story you said about the taxi. And I, one of the things that often sticks with me is the fact that when, like, when you get put in that position and you sort of feel wronged or you feel like it, something was not right, just having that perspective of kind of, you don't know what's going on in that other person's life. You know, that they, they, they could have been going anywhere for any reason, which was incredibly important. And to have, I think, to have that self-understanding, to appreciate that when you feel like something is not as it should be, I, I think is a, is a great thing for, for people to share and to understand. So I really, I really like that story. Really think that's such a great, great way of being. What was the best piece of advice you were, you've ever been given and, and who gave it to you? I've had a lot of good advice. I, I ran across a great mentor, Dr. Tom Fleck. Uh, Dr. Fleck is, is considered a pioneer of American youth soccer and uh, he's written books. People know about him. There are awards named after him. Again, I've been fortunate to run across him. He saw something in me that I didn't see in myself and he gave me a chance to to rise up in the world of soccer. But he told me a few things that, I, that I've lived by. First, first thing is... He said, if you're going to coach kids, you've got to get inside the belly of a nine-year-old and you've got to see the world from that perspective. And, and if you can't do that, then you're not, going to, you're not going to be as effective. I've always tried to remember that. Another thing he said is be, a, be an original. There's plenty of cookie cutters out there. Give the world a reason to think that you're a little different. Don't be afraid of being an original. And he said, when you lose your fire it's time to get out. If you don't wake up every single day excited to get after it, that's the day you need to leave. Dr. Fleck taught me that stuff. There was a guy named Pat Logan that I worked with, really smart, wise teacher, worked many years with him. And uh, I was younger in my teaching career, he was older. uh, And uh, he saw the value of PE and the value of recess, actually. He believed in recess, just free playtime at school as one of the most important times at school. And uh, we would go out there and supervise recess together. And he taught me a lot about why that was, um, why that was so. And whenever there was a problem at recess in my young, uh, my young teaching self would charge over there to solve the problem and fix things, right? And this is the thing we're trying to let, tell people not to do, let the kids sort it out. Right. Well, Pat would would never stop me from doing that. And he would never say anything to me about doing that. And then one day uh, when I was getting ready to go charge over and solve another problem, he said to me, go and split that baby, Solomon. <laughs> and, and I and I and I'm thinking, what what did he just tell me? I didn't I didn't understand it. I went around. I solved the problem. I played uh, the sheriff of the of the of the playground, fixed the thing that happened. I came back. I said, Pat, what do you what do you what does that mean? And essentially, what he was saying was, Hey, man, the, you, you're running over there to fix problems. You're splitting babies in half. You can't split babies in half. Let the pack sort it out. It'll take care of it. Just to, that's another another person that taught me a lot was my stepson Rob and, I, and my other stepson Brian. They taught me so much. Um, and Rob, one of Rob's favorite things is let the pack sort it out. My wife, Karen, she we, with my daughter who wouldn't who was a picky eater. 
she taught me probably more about teaching than anybody I've ever met. And uh, one of the things she taught me was uh, creating choices for people that result in what you want to happen no matter what. And so, in other words, her thing was, if we want to get Katie to eat broccoli, what we say is, Katie, would you like to eat the broccoli with the spoon or the fork? And either one is fine. And Katie would choose a spoon. There, there goes the broccoli. It doesn't matter what what that that one little that one little choice was. The bottom line: the broccoli was eaten. Too often, we get we get in arguments with people about things that we don't have to argue about. And Karen taught me this little tactic of creating another choice that gives the person who wants to argue the feeling like they've won some kind of an argument over you. But the real important thing actually happened that you wanted all along. That was that was great stuff. I've got so many more. So many people have helped me so much. Uh, but those would be some that I would say. Uh, another one, Dixie Swenson. I, I worked in the John Anderson for President campaign in 1980. Uh, and that was a third-party candidate with the, the campaign between Ronald Reagan and Jimmy Carter for the 1980 presidency. Dixie Swen I was a campaign manager, uh, and Dixie Swenson was a campaign manager on a bit of a higher level, and we used to do campaign events, and Dixie Swenson said, always plan rallies with the idea that everything's going to fall apart, and then have a plan for that, and if you can have a plan for that, you can have a plan for everything. I've always approached every class, what if this class totally falls apart, then what am I going to do? And when you know what you're going to do in the worst moment, you're calm because you, the worst moment hits, you already have an answer for it. That, that was, that's been a great uh, piece of advice that I've gotten. So, you know, that's it. That's, that's some stuff right there. Yeah, that's great. I love, I love the second choice idea. I think that's, I can really see how that's, that's incredibly clever. Um, and, um, and like you say, results in everybody being, getting what they want. And, and that's uh, yeah, really interesting thing. I'm going to think a bit more about that <laughs> as, uh, as the day unfolds. Um, <laughs> uh, what advice would you give your younger self now? Uh, to believe in yourself and to just push forward not to be hesitant. Most kids are, most kids, you know, you have those natural kids that are just naturally confident, right? And that's, and that's some, some people, uh, but it's, it's not a great majority of people. Most kids are hesitant. They, they are actually smart and they have a good moral and, uh, uh, you know, uh, a character background in them to make good decisions, but they're just not, confident yet in making those decisions funny enough i uh in that john anderson campaign that i was talking about and uh when i was 20 I was 23 years old at this time and doing quite well in the campaign and then the campaign at one point said to me we want you to go to west palm beach florida and we want you to appear to uh you know represent the candidate in a candidate's forum in west palm beach and that was about a four-hour drive away. So I thought, wow, this is pretty exciting. They want me that I must be doing pretty good if they're going to send me down there. And so I said, what was the, what's, what's it about? And they said, it's a three candidate forum. There'll be somebody representing each of the three presidential candidates. Okay, great. I've done that. I've, I'd go to churches or school, you know, halls and do that. I was, I was comfortable with that. And I said, uh, how many people will be there? They said 1200. And I was like, wait a minute. Do you, do you know that I'm a kid? 
do you know that I'm 23 years old? And I said, who's going to represent the other two candidates? And they said, well, Ronald Reagan will be represented by William Simon, Secretary of the Treasury, and Jimmy Carter will be represented by Robert Strauss, which is a Democratic Party national chairman. I said, guys, you don't understand. You're talking to a kid here. I, I don't, you don't want to send me into that into that forum. With that kind of heavyweight uh, representation from the other two candidates, he's just going to make John Anderson look like he doesn't have anything. Send somebody from Washington, D.C. And that's what they did. Boy, I wish I could have had that one over. I didn't believe in myself enough to throw myself into that forum. And what's the worst thing that could happen? And John Anderson just got 6% of the vote anyway. He was never going to win the presidency. Uh, and, uh, and I wish I wouldn't have, have passed on that. I passed on some things when I was young. But the biggest advice I'd give to young people, you can do it. And guess what? Even if you can't do it, it'll be worth it anyway. You'll learn. You'll get better. The other advice I'd give is read books and talk to people. These are the best ways to learn. You read, you talk, you learn. That's it. And then it's con- it's a continual growth, isn't it, then? It's continual learning, and it doesn't stop with school. In the, you know, education is an ongoing thing for us all, no matter what our age. And so, like I say, if you can have those conversations and you can and you can learn through reading and, and, ex- and exposure to things, then, then, then it always feels like we're, 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 like I say, we are literally growing. And I think that's a very positive way to live your life. Yes, I agree. What does your future look like? Well, you know, uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, I've I've come to a point in my life where I have something to say, and and I should say it. Uh, I why not for me, but for whoever can take something from it uh, and learn something from it. I do enjoy it, though. I enjoy being in a position to get to have something to say, to have. Uh, acquired this wisdom from all these smart people and to be able to to, to put it back out there in, in different forms and then see it help people. I, I'm not the smartest person in the world. I'm, I'm certainly not uh, a doctor or uh, anything like that. But uh, I think I, I think I can put a, a point of view out there that could that people could maybe latch on to and and get something out of. I really enjoy this, this what you've done, Mark, with this podcast. I mean, I mean, I think it's very exciting getting to know you a little bit, getting to know Ryan Ellis with the PE umbrella. What I love about it is you've created a ground zero for your own, your own way of thinking, your own uh, sort of outlook on life. And, you know, between the two of you, if you listen to your podcasts enough, like you said, some running themes come through, a ways of looking at the world. So it's gotten me to think about that. I've been thinking if I was going to do a podcast, what would it be about? And I've been actually thinking about a big idea. And the big idea I'm at right now is something I think about all the time, which is things have changed sometimes a little too much. Now, I'm sure people have been saying this all through the history of human, human, the human race. I'm sure in the 1500s, people thought, you know, these crazy young people, things have changed. Back in the old days, things were better. I'm sure this is natural. But I think in the in the current moment, the social upheaval, uh, We I grew up in a neighborhood, a neighborhood that had people, uh, not just my parents, but all of the people up and down the street uh, and in our neighborhood looked out for everybody. 
and that neighborhood that neighborhood sort of construct of uh, knowing that you were at home even if you weren't in your own home uh, I, I think that's under threat people are afraid even in their own neighborhoods they lock the doors they're they're not you know we never locked our doors now I'm not suggesting people should lock their doors but I think that in the current moment of losing uh, that idea of, of the neighborhood and the, and the, and the safety and, and freedom of the big area where you know you're supported, I think we've, lo- we've lost a little something. And I think uh, it's easy to lose those things. It's easy to lose certain ways of thinking. And I'd like to see those things come back. So I don't know exactly how that comes out, but I think my, my big idea right now is about the neighborhood or old school ways of thinking. So if I can develop that, great. I probably won't. A while back, I somebody told me I should write a book. Um, I'm not a writer. I'm a gym teacher. Uh, but because somebody told me and because I had the confidence and believed, well, if somebody thinks that, maybe I should try. So I started writing things down about 10 years ago. And uh, I said, how do you write a book? They said, you don't write a book. You just write things down. You just write down your thoughts. And then after a while, there's enough things written down. You begin to organize them into some sort of a, you know, a framework that could result in a book. I said, okay, I think I could do that. So I've been writing things down for a while now. I've probably got about 60 or 70 pages of things written down. It's a big mishmash right now. I'm too busy in my day-to-day life to do something with it, but maybe one of these days when my life slows down, I'll, I'll take a look at all that and, and form it up and see if it's worth putting out there. So that's kind of where I'm where I'm headed, maybe. Yeah, it sounds very exciting. And what I love about it is the fact that as often is the case, um, when I ask this question, some people um, have a, I'm gonna, it's gonna look like this, or I'm gonna do this. But generally speaking, it's it's that continuation of what we talk about with um with youngsters as well. You know, where's your passion? What are you into? What are you following? And you don't know where it's gonna necessarily aim or head to, but you know that actually this is the sort of thing which I'm being drawn towards. And I think no matter where you are in your life, I think that stays the same all the time. And, and that can really keep the excitement going and, um, yeah, and shows you your path, no matter, like I say, wherever that happens to be. Yeah, well, your entire network is based on one idea, the idea of being on fire. It's a big idea, and it underscores everything that you do. I, I like that. I like having a big idea. And, and then applying it in a lot of different ways. And, uh, you know, that's a great way of thinking. And I, I, I don't know. I haven't got my big idea formed yet, but it's coming. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I'm excited to, well, to, to, to find out what that is and, and also to support you in any way that I can. So uh, I appreciate be... that. Um, what podcast, um, book, video, film, or song, or, or any resource that you has had a big impact on your life, and why was that? Here are the ones that uh, that have made a difference for me, and the reason why is because being a searcher, I find great wisdom in these things. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Uh, there's a book also written by Stephen Covey, uh, who wrote The Seven Habits, called The Eighth Habit. The uh, Eighth Habit, the subtitle is Find Your Voice and Help Others Find Theirs which I really like that idea, and there's a lot of great wisdom in there. There's a book called Good to Great, written by Jim Collins. Uh, First line of the book really speaks to me. Good is the enemy of great. If you think about that, that's pretty profound. 
why are there so many good things or I'm sorry, why are there so few great things? Because there's so many good things and good is the enemy of great. When things are good, they're good and that people don't try to improve on that. I just like that idea. Um, Collins also wrote another book called Great by Choice, how to maintain greatness in in, uh, in troubling times and trying times, and there's just a lot of good wisdom there. I wrote a book, I read a book called Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive. It was a book written by a guy named Harvey McKay, who is uh, um, how to how to survive in business when lots of bigger businesses are around nipping at you. This is kind of a returning theme uh, from Jack McKenzie's little soccer team to, you know, the uh, the idea of uh, being the little guy who who fights in the world and 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 maintains their place and even excels. And swim with the sharks is is about that. Beware the naked man who offers you his shirt. It's another book by Harvey McKay. Gotten a lot from. A book called Ice to the Eskimos. It's uh, the subtitle is How to Sell a Product That Nobody Wants, and mm. and there's so much great stuff in there that I've used in my teaching because teaching is essentially selling. You're selling a point of view, and you're hoping that the kids buy it. It's it's all sales really, and using good sales techniques really works for teachers. Teachers, kids don't care about your academic knowledge and, you know, the PhD or whatever next to your name. They just care about it. Are you, are you, are you saying something that interests them? One of the biggest, uh, biggest things I got from, I got this from Pat Logan, is uh, a book called Please Understand Me. And there have been two versions. One came out in 1978, one in 1998. So please understand me, one and two. And it really is is kind of based off of Myers-Briggs kind of uh, construct of the human race that that people have a predisposed way of, of, uh, uh, of the way they came out of the womb, essentially. And uh, there's four different groups of people, the guardians, the idealists, the artisans, and the rationals. And within those groups, there are subgroups. And no matter how much you try to change them, that's who they fundamentally are. And if you just understand them and work with them as they are, you'll do a lot better. Uh, I really have learned a lot from that book, especially in working with kids. I see people trying to change kids. You can't change them. You can only teach them. Uh, There's another book, Team of Rivals. Uh, It is a book about the Abraham Lincoln presidency uh, and uh, where Abraham Lincoln took all of his just terrible rivals that he that they all hated each other and he pulled them all together as a team to save the union in the civil war uh when the south broke away from the north here in the united states abraham lincoln put the vision of the union above the rivalries that these people had and he created a team of rivals it's a great way of thinking for a higher purpose uh those are just a few that i've really gotten a lot out of um we're going to have all of these. They're all going to be um, on the show notes. So um, go and check that out. That's going to be on educationonfard.com. And if you um, go to the search bar, just write Jim Hart in there and all the podcast related things to Jim will pop up and um, you can click on this Learning on Fire podcast and on those show notes will be um, all these resources that you can check out and follow link through, um, which I think gives you great advice and great things to follow up. So for those that have um have enjoyed this, Jim, and um and want to know more about you, what's the best way for them to find out about you? Where can they go and search? The best way to to 
do that is m uh, there's a website msccamp.com that is uh, msccamp.com uh, is the website that sort of catalogs the marauder soccer camp which is the name of our soccer camp sort of uh, sort of the ground zero that i've uh that i operate from you you operate from the education on fire ground zero my my ground zero is marauder soccer camp and and from there, I've got uh, I've got a staff at Marauder Soccer Camp, all of which, almost all of which, are former campers that I come into contact with when they're seven and eight years old, and they come to the camp and later join the staff and later go on to great things in life. And I catalog the lives of those people on the on the website. The website tells all the things we do at camp and all the lots. There's a lot of stuff there. I've been adding to it for about 15 years. And, and that's probably the best way. Uh, Ryan Ellis insisted that I get involved in Twitter. Twitter scared me for a long, long time. But I've, I have taken the plunge. So I do have a Twitter handle, which is at MSC Camp. And uh, I've got a Facebook page. I don't really do much on that. I look at it, but I don't really put stuff on there that much. Those would be the, those would be the ways to the best ways. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Jim, for sharing your wisdom and allowing us to learn from your experiences. Mark, I so appreciate you having me on. Thank you. And thank you for doing this great podcast. I love the learning on fire element. I love your mission. You should stay with it. Thank you very much indeed. I really appreciate that. Thanks for listening to the Learning on Fire podcast. For more information, please visit educationonfire.com and follow the links from the homepage. This show is sponsored by the National Association for Primary Education. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.